Hello there, loyal listeners. Let's start off by playing a fun word association quiz game. This is subjective, and there's only one right answer. Should be pretty easy, actually. When I say think of a movie franchise about giant fighting robots from space, what do you think of? Wrong. The correct answer was transmorphers, not transformers. I understand why you would have thought transformers. It's confusing, which is exactly what the Asylum Studio wants to confuse you the consumer to maybe accidentally buy their film? Now, when Transformers came out, the Asylum Studio released Transmorphers, both about giant fighting robot space aliens. One had a budget in the hundreds of millions of dollars. The other might have had a craft service table. We'll discuss all of the Asylum Studio's trickery this week on This Was a Thing. I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at the Asylum films. Now, I know they just go by the Asylum, but I had to be clear and make it the Asylum films just so people aren't like, the Asylum? What the hell is this about? So this was a thing because Hollywood production companies are always using their brains and trying to figure out new ways to be creative and make money. And some production companies don't necessarily care what the end result is as long as the film they made isn't in the red. This is one of those stories. So, Rob, do you know what a mockbuster is? I actually do not know what a mockbuster is. A mockbuster is a film that's created with the intention of, you know, exploiting the publicity of another major motion picture that's being filmed. So they usually will have a similar title or like the poster will look very similar. An example is in 2008, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was released. And so the Asylum released Alan Quartermain and the Temple of Skulls. Alan Quartermain is from King Solomon's Minds, which is a book and they made movies and he's an adventurer. And so they took his name and then added Temple of Skulls, So that's kind of their general idea of what they want to do. And they're usually produced at the same time as a big blockbuster movie. And then they're released direct-to-video around the time that the movie's released or put out on, you know, DVD. Is it done to confuse the viewer or is it done to like... Yes, exactly. Confusion. But some producers maintain that they're simply offering additional products to consumers who want to watch additional films in the same subgenre. So it's like they're doing something for us. Like, oh man, I really enjoyed that archaeologist. Look, I love Indiana Jones, but I mean, if you're looking at archaeology, he is really not the best when it comes to maintaining artifacts. I mean, I've never once seen that man use a brush. <laughs> I know, and that's, that's a huge thing for you because you are an archaeology purist. Look, bones need to be preserved. Okay. <laughs> anyway... Mockbusters have been around 
for a while. In 1959, the monster of Piedras Blancas was obviously a clear ripoff of... Piedras Blancas, Whitefoot? The mystery of Whitefoot? The creature of the Black Lagoon. Oh, okay. (laughs) And so they actually got the same costume designer from the creature of the Black Lagoon to make the monster's outfit in this, but... They just decided, hey, well, you know what? Let's just make another monster coming out of water, scary film. And, you know, they won't even notice. Land That Time Forgot got, you know, Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. What year is this? The 50s? That's the 50s and 60s. Those are like when things are like uh, Pietras Blancas was 1959. So I think they started, you know, coming out and blockbusters weren't around until the 70s. But they saw movies that were popular and said okay let's just kind of see if we can get some rubes too okay rubes you know there's nothing like targeting that rube demographic exactly so like like i said they're kind of like b movies so they they follow that model produced on a small budget made to attract a certain audience well that audience what you want to consider them is up to you so most mockbusters they capitalize on the popularity of a theatrically released movies but some will even copy tv series or other forms of media so In 1979, there was a film release called Angel's Revenge or Angel's Brigade, and that had a lot of similarities to... Charlie's Angels. Exactly. I got it right? Yes. But also then the opposite can be said. So Glenn A. Larson is a huge TV producer, and people said that he made mockbusters into television, so he did Battlestar Galactica... And people said that that capitalized off of Star Wars. Wars. And actually, one of the things was that he was just going to be Galactica. But after Star Wars, they said, we need to have something in there that says Star. So they added Battlestar. There was a popular mockbuster company in the 80s and 90s that was called Good Time Entertainment. Do you remember that? Yes, Good Time Entertainment. Yes, so they would make animated direct-to-video versions of films being produced by Disney and other, you know, there was tons of animated people, like, you know, Don Bluth back then and stuff. So they released Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Pinocchio, Sinbad, The Little Mermaid, and most of them, the plots were very different than the big budget version of it, but it didn't really matter because you go to a video store, you see it's an animated, oh, Aladdin, there you go. The thing was, Good Times were releasing things based on folk tales that had been in... Brothers Grimm? Public domain. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> but yes, but... Brothers, Brothers Grimm is in public ex- domain. Exactly. But so what they did was they would find things that were in public domain and then make a movie about it and say, look, Disney doesn't technically ro- own the rights... To Beauty and the Beast, that's in public domain. Yeah, yeah. So we're making our own animated version, and we're just a we're just a lowly production company. And gosh, we're just lucky that we happen to make seven films at the same time as huge animated movies. But you know, so Disney sued Good Times in 1993 because the videotape packaging was too closely resembled Disney's, and so that's how they got it. They say there was a rat wearing a tuxedo as opposed to a mouse. <laughs> hey, kids. I'm Ricky the Rat. <laughs> Good times, they had to change their packaging and stuff. Good times went bankrupt in 2005. So around the same time, things started heating up for the asylum. So the asylum was founded by a director by the name of David Michael Latt and two former Village Roadshow executives. They mostly focused on producing straight-to-video, low-budget horror films, you know, slasher genre and stuff like that. But then Lionsgate started getting so big 
that they were like, what are we going to do? So in 2005, they produced uh, a low-budget adaptation of H.G. Wells's The War of the Worlds, which was released the same time as Steven Spielberg's The War of the Worlds. Notice that Steven Spielberg doesn't say H.G. Wells's. So... Blockbuster ordered 100,000 copies of the Asylum's adaptation, I think by accident. Oh, boy. And that was much larger than any of the things they'd ever produced had gotten ordered. So from then, they decided it was time to uh, reconsider their business model. The Asylum and Mockbusters would be one in the same. And yes, they use some special effects in their film, but the budget is a lot smaller than that of a lot of major motion picture. I mean, so much smaller. Vice did a great like, short documentary about The Asylum, and this is COO telling about The Asylum. The Asylum is a film uh, and television production and distribution company. Our films tend to be, um... We are being hunted by a six-headed show. Shitty, mostly. You know, not to be taken too seriously. Let's go show them what it means to be a New Yorker! A lot of people talk about wanting to watch quality cinema, uh, but we find that most people, uh, ourselves included, usually just want to come home from a hard day of work. You watch it, you have a good time, you never have to think about it again. The technical term in the entertainment industry is actually called a drafting title. I mean, if you go into your pharmacy, you'll see the brand name, Decongestant, and you'll see the store's version, which looks exactly like it, but it just calls it Decongestant. Well, that's a mockbuster. So if a movie... What a great way to explain it. Thank you, Vice. You know what I like is that first thing he says, our films are pretty much shit. So they know what they're doing getting into it. So Disney released their live action version of Aladdin in May 2019. Two weeks before that, the Asylum released The Adventures of Aladdin. Their version was written in a week, shot in seven days, and had a budget around two hundred to $250,000 for the whole thing. They talk about the making of this in the Vice documentary, and the director was like, yeah, I've, I've worked in visual effects for a while, and I did some stuff for the Asylum, and I saw that there was a, no one directing this on the slate, and so I said, you know, I should give that a try. So me, and I think it's his wife as his writing partner, so we wrote it on the way, way up to uh, a Thanksgiving dinner in the car. That's exactly how Citizen Kane happened. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's... That's the effort put into it. And you know what? I kind of appreciate that. Here is the a trailer for The Adventures of Aladdin. What is your name, acrobat? Aladdin. I offer a task. Inside, there's a lamp. And it represents the Sultana's right to rule. Thank you, fool! There's something special about that lamp. I am the genie of the lamp. <laughs> That's supposed to look like the live-action Aladdin, right? The yes. Will Smith one. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was filmed in Acton, California. The deserts of Acton, California. That COO Paul Bales is full of great quotes. He says that asylum films are director-proof because the concept is the star. And if we have a really good director, the films are moderately better. But if we have a really bad director, they're not necessarily that worse. <laughs> So I like the style. In 2005, Peter Jackson released his adaptation of King Kong. So the Asylum released 
King of the Lost World. Queen Kang. <laughs> yeah, Queen Kang. It's a very loose adaptation of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World, but they added a giant ape to it. So, you know, as you do. Once again, also the original plot of Citizen Kane. One of the company's founders, David Michael Latt, said this in a New York Times magazine. We saw that Peter Jackson's King Kong was coming out, so we made King of the Lost World. It wasn't as successful as War of the Worlds, but it made money, and that's what our buyers want. We've gotten to where we can produce tie-in films in three to four months, just so long as we don't mimic the production artwork too closely. The big studios don't seem to mind. Genius. Maybe you're a fan of giant fighting robots that change forms. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe Michael Bay isn't your style, right? You, you wanted to avoid Transformers. Well, I have some good news, because the Asylum released Transmorphers. When Transformers franchise decided it was time to spin off, it brought us 2018's Bumblebee. The Asylum's Transmorphers franchise brought us Hornet. Mosquito. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the COO Paul Bales said the best outlook for their films is to get on cable television or to end up in a red box. Small, obtainable goals. Exactly. And in fact... A television sale is what helped propel the Asylum to put them on the map because they are the company behind the entire Sharknado series. So between 2013 and 2018, the Asylum, with the help of Sci-Fi Channel, pumped out six Sharknado films. It's not enough. Sharknado, Sharknado 2, the second one, Sharknado 3, oh hell no, Sharknado 4, The Fourth Awakens, which is a play on The Force Awakens, which is how I used to say that would be with my teeth with gone. Uh, that was The Fourth Awakens. <laughs> Sharknado 5, Global Swarming, and The Last Sharknado, It's About Time. So let me just show you this trailer and just see if you can tell me who you recognize in the first couple seconds of this trailer. Okay. Get out, enjoy some time with the family on this beautiful day. There won't be anything quite like it again. If we stop the first shark now, we can stop them all. Time travel's risky. If we do it right, we can reset everything back to the way it should be. Welcome to Merlin's castle. There's a shark NATO coming. Dragon sharks? Good luck with that. Bye! Yeah! The vortex is collapsing. Come on, let's go. The sharks are coming! The sharks are coming! Let's go kill some sharks. Come on! Based on what I can tell, the people travel through time, and the sharks also travel through time. The sharks don't have to live in the water, and I think I saw Leslie Jordan as George Washington? I believe so. And... Uh, Gary a, Busey. Gary Busey. There was Alaska from Drag Race. There was Vivica A. Fox. Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. Is Ian Ziering the lead Ian from Ziering's 90210? Al Roker was in there. There were so many people. It became a thing. Even on Howard Stern, Benji was in, I think, four of them. It, and it's all tongue in cheek. So I can appreciate that they know that it's just so ridiculous. You know, I've never seen one of these. I, I haven't either, actually. What? Mm -mm. Then why the hell are you talking about it today? Because I'm fascinated by mock. I'm fascinated. 
fascinated by mockbusters. I can't tell you how many times I've ended up on the Wikipedia page for Asylum, the films of Asylum, the Asylum, because it makes me laugh so hard because it's it, it really is such an interesting marketing strategy. I'm just so amused by these. Hey friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay. Head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, click Go to Show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to Patreon.com and send us some money, and in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, Pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, do you remember the reboot of Planet of the Apes from a few years ago? Yes. Okay, well, the asylum invited you to Planet of the Sharks. Maybe you wanted a musical experience set in high school, but Zac Efron was too morally corrupt for you? The Asylum has Sunday School Musical for you. Get the fuck out. Yep. Really? Yep. Was It Chapter 2 too scary for you because the clown wasn't generic enough, maybe? Well, the Asylum has Clown for you. There are some lawsuits that Asylum have gotten in 2008. 20th Century Fox threatened legal action against the Asylum over The Day the Earth Stopped which was a ripoff of The Day the Earth Stood Still. And then in 2012, they were released the movie Battleship, and uh, Asylum had to change theirs from American Battleship to American Warships. This is crazy. The biggest one was MGM sued them over The Hobbit because the Asylum released a film called Age of the Hobbits, This is from a BBC article. Producers of The Hobbit called it an intentional and willful attempt to trade on the popularity and goodwill of both The Lord of the Rings and Hobbit producers, and J.R.R. Tolkien novel they are based on. But court papers obtained by The Hollywood Reporter have called Age of the Hobbits confusingly similar and a misleading title. But the protected phrase has been associated with Bilbo Baggins and his fellow Middle-earth people from 1937. Asylum's take, though. Age of the Hobbit is due out on DVD and online December 11th, three days before the U.S. opening of the official Hobbit. The Asylum claims its movie is legally sound because its Hobbits are not based on the Tolkien creations. Age of Hobbits is about a real-life human subspecies discovered in 2003 in Indonesia, which have been uniformly referred to as Hobbits in the scientific community. In addition, the term is therefore protected under the legal doctrines of nominal and traditional fair use. Duh! Here's just a really quick clip of Age of the Hobbits. Warriors to your dragon! (laughs) 
what would you say those dragons look like? Honestly, the whole thing looks like it was filmed in a park <laughs> in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's, that's the first thing I'm noticing. And uh, the, those are supposed to be dinosaurs? They're supposed to be dragons. Oh, those are dragons? Yes. They look like, like lizards. So, yeah. What I get from this is it's like it almost like they have a lizard graphic, and then they just decided to put wings on a lizard graphic instead of just creating a whole new dragon effect. It's like they took a dragon emoji. <laughs> yeah. And was like, here, this is what we'll use. In 2015, Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron was a huge box office smash. And ABC also had a really popular TV show called Once Upon a Time, which was a show that combined many classic fairy tales, right? I like that show. So the Asylum thought, well, why not just combine these two properties and gave the world Avengers Grimm? The film brings together Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, and Red Riding Hood to fight Rumpelstiltskin, played by Casper Van Deem, and Iron John, played by Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Luckily, in 2018, when Avengers Infinity War was released, the Asylum released their sequel, Avengers Grim Time Wars. No Casper or Lou this time, unfortunately. Now, some people said that with the release of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the Jurassic franchise took a bit of a stumble. Well, I have some good news for those naysayers, because the Asylum has Triassic World. That's right, I think that's an even older time period than Jurassic. So, you get some older dinosaur folks, maybe a little cane, maybe a little oxygen tank. Who knows, the Asylum's gonna bring it. More fantastical fighting or big old dinosaurs aren't your thing? Maybe a little too scary, right? Well, the Asylum has some animated mockbusters for you, too. You love Dory from Disney Pixar's Finding Dory, right? Well, wait until you meet Izzy. Izzy's way home. Speaking of Disney Pixar, how about Cars 3? Well, I'd love to show you the Asylum's Cargo. This is fucking genius at Asylum. So they don't actually just make mockbusters. And this is actually an excerpt from that GQ article from 2013, but I still say it's relevant. Of the 26 films the Asylum will release in 2013, only five will mimic Hollywood tentpoles. The remainder is a grab bag of B-movie genres, schlock horror, raunchy teen sex comedies, raunchy stoner sex comedies, lifetime movies of the week, and puppy-themed Christmas films. And then there are the shark movies, Two-Headed Shark Attack, Sharknado, the entire Mega Shark franchise. In 2007, the team opened Faith Films, which produces apocalypse movie that closely resemble their other apocalypse movie, but with more God. God blesses every single one of us. They also have success in television, though. They produced a show for sci-fi called Z Nation. Uh, it's a zombie apocalypse but it was on for four seasons. Oh. And there was a prequel series called uh, To Z Nation that premiered in 2019 on Netflix. So they are they sold a show to Netflix with Jamie King called Black Summer, and it's like the same thing. It's at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Got it, got it, got it. So they're selling to big companies. So it almost seems like they're getting to have fun and make stuff as long as they get a couple sales a year. Like They're good. Yeah, exactly. Maybe TV isn't your thing and you still want more mockbusters. Well, were you tired of the Star Wars sequel trilogy by the time it got to Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker? The Asylum presented Battle Star Wars. Battle Star Wars? Battle Star Wars. Battlestar Wars. Uh, you choose. Fast and the Furious 9 was fun, right? I'm sure you're a big fast uh, car guy movie. Yeah, that's, yeah. You want to know what may be funner? Yeah. <laughs> well, the Asylum's Fast and Fierce. 
Death Race. That's uh, that's a drag race thing. Vin Diesel and Sasha Valore. Go at it. <laughs> well, Asylum love making room from cargo fast movies because in 2008 was a banging year for them because the Asylum released Street Racer, which is a technically closer in story to the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, but closer in name to Speed Racer. So they were really going for those two films. But of all the titles I've covered, I'd like to close out on the one... That is actually my favorite. And I think this is actually the first Asylum title I'd ever heard of. Bring it on. This one was actually fairly early in their mockbuster making. It was in 2006. Now, do you remember the film Snakes on a Plane? Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, we got to get these motherfucking snakes off this motherfucking plane. Well, A flight attendant did say that about me the last time I flew Delta, just so we're clear. Well, could you guess what? The Asylum released in 2006? Uh, okay, so Snakes on a Plane, it's going to be Lizards on a Train. Snakes on a Train, baby. Oh, really? There's a problem in the engine room. What kind of problem? Problem in the engine room. What kind of problem, Frank? Pretty scary, huh? I was terrified. Trains are tougher, you know, because a plane, you can land. It's true. And, you know, listen, I'm so sorry. I don't want to say anything, but Amtrak does have a bonus miles program for reptiles specifically. And so I'm sorry, Amtrak. You brought this on yourself. Um, when we come back, we will ta- be talking about the upcoming Amtrak lawsuit that Rob is actually writing out um, as we speak. So stay tuned. Thank you so much. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. And we want to thank you, the shareholders of Asylum Films. Without the generous contributions from the three of you, we wouldn't be able to release Transmorpher 7. Now, we really think it's going to be a big hit in the LGBTQ plus giant robot rental community. And with that, I want to close out this presentation with Gary Fischter, the head of our animatics division. Gary? Thank you. <clears throat> Here at the Asylum, we are always looking to do new things, and that's why we started the new Asylum Animated Classics Division. We're going to be doing something a little bit different now. We'll be producing and releasing animated versions of some of the most classic films ever made. With a little bit of a twist. All right. First up, who remembers the classic film Citizen Kane? Okay, it looks like all three of you remember. Very nice. Very helpful. Well, I'd like to introduce you to Citizen Crane. The story of an alcoholic crane bird that runs a newspaper service for other birds. All types of birds. We're going to have a ton of different birds. Not crows, though. And for the role of Charles Foster Crane, it will be voiced by none other than the good wives, Zach Grenier. Who could forget the classic mobster movie, The Godfather? The Asylum is happy to premiere The Dog Father next summer. <laughs> Not necessarily an original title, but hey, we're the Asylum, right? (laughs) 
The dog father tells the story of an Alaskan Malmute who is the head of a crime family in a local pound. Set during the middle of the Iditarod Trail sled dog race in Nome, Alaska, murders and other fun hijinks ensue. And this movie will feature a mixture of CGI and real people. Humans, if you will. And the dog father will be portrayed by one of my all-time favorite schnauzers, the good wife's Zach Grenier. Now we're planning on doing something kind of fun with the classic Casablanca or Casablanca. You see, that film takes place in a beautiful Moroccan city. But no, no, not our film. You see, our film, Casablanca, is about feral albino tabby cats roaming the Spanish countryside, always searching for their next meal. Will it be a bowl of fresh milk? Or will it be the good wife's Zach Grenier? Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Very exciting stuff. How cool is it that we got the good wife, Zach Grenier? I want to thank the three of you for believing in this studio like you do. We can't wait to show you what we have in store next. And to close out our presentation, I'd like to end with a prayer. To lead us in this prayer from Temple de Goodvayeb, please welcome Rabbi Zach Grenier. Thank you. This was a sketch. The Asylum is still making films and TV shows, so technically it still is a thing. But, you know, I feel like the power of the Mockbuster is what really pushed the Asylum forward. You know, like from a small indie slasher movie, you know, like, I feel like they at least found what they like to do. Like Scream? Here's Shriek. (laughs) That's honestly exactly the kind of stuff. And there's always been those cheaply made B-movies and... The Asylum do those, but instead of concocting a weird blood that looks good on camera, that's going to look as pure as possible, and but still give you the heebie-jeebies, they're just going to put it, do it in post and make it on a Dell. So I think that, you know, yes, it does take some of the things away, but you don't have to have a bucket on set. All you just need is a computer made in 1997. I got that. Perfect. And I feel like the Sharknado series will always live on in pop culture. I feel like each year when they were released i think i said it was there were six so like six or seven years of span there was it was always i feel like an event sci-fi always Mm. tried to make it like seem like you knew that the fucking sharknado movies were gonna be on and like i said i never watched them but i appreciate the campiness of them i appreciate that they were popular enough that it shows that there are still enough people out there willing to watch a bad movie and they're not just like pretentious and going, oh, well, I just have to see the best of the best of the best. Like, no, that's like the guy said, they are made to have fun. People, you need to watch it and have fun. I feel like just the fact that they're so tongue in cheek and campy, I enjoy what they bring. I like it and they know what they are but i also think the asylum shows maybe young movie like filmmakers who maybe kind of have an idea how to do a graphics program or just minimal special effects that maybe they could do something on their own and maybe that an asylum film might help someone go like hey i could probably do that let me try to do that if it'll inspire someone to be creative then i appreciate it listen i have never seen any of these films and i'm going to watch one tonight i am determined to watch one tonight yeah they look they look fun and especially at the end of sharknado they got so many people in and the budgets obviously got better and better but 
none of those people, I think, got their careers reestablished that were in those. But I'm sure for those six years, Ian Ziering, Vivica A. Fox, and Tara Reid were like, oh, hell yeah. And I think it's also nice from a nostalgic point of view as an audience member. No, yeah. To see those people Absolutely. in these movies. Yeah, and like some of the best B-movies from the 60s, 70s, 50s, you know, they have, it's like, oh my God, like fucking look, the original Little Shop is Jack Nicholson's first film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he plays the dentist patient, and he's one of the most celebrated actors of this last generation. This does hold a place in my heart, the asylum and what they do, and just the fact that they know what they're making, and they don't go around it and i love that i am excited to watch one of these i'm so excited to have learned about all of these so thank you so much for teaching me ray of course is it time for a game it is this was a thing and now it's a quiz this is a this was a quiz with mark schroeder love a good knockoff right Oh, Everybody yeah. loves a good knockoff film, knockoff whatever you can get. I like how they would kind of come up with a title that was vaguely similar to an American blockbuster to try and rope people into maybe accidentally. Yes. <laughs> well, that, that's really what it was. Yeah, we're going to dupe you. Yeah. Because uh, you didn't look close enough at the box. Yeah. And we win for that. So I love that. I love when real American films are played overseas. Their titles also get changed into something wacky. Yeah. So I use that to create a little bit of a game called Eastern Block. Busters. Okay. okay. So I'm going to read the name of a country along with the roughly translated title of what the film was called over there. And you guys are going to work together to tell me what we know that movie as. Okay. Okay. So I got seven of these. First one from China, Six Naked Pigs. <laughs> I mean, I know this isn't it, but The Expendables, I guess. But and that's not it at all. Incorrect. Rob, do you have a... Do you have a six, six, six Naked, naked pigs. pigs. Seven. No, no, the full Monty. Oh, oh, what? yeah, that's, that's a, not nice. It's not nice. I, I completely agree with you. From Italy, if you leave me, I delete you. If you leave me, I fatal attraction. No, no, the Matrix, Fifty Shades of Grey, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless oh. Mind. Oh, okay. If you leave me, I delete you. That's actually a nice title. It is nice. That could work in America. From China, his powerful device makes him famous. Uh, Iron Man? Rob, do you even guess? Social Network? Boogie Nights. His powerful His device? powerful device makes him famous. Do you think in China when he pulls it out at the end, he's like, it's got buttons. look at this powerful device. It's a touch it's it's it. Yeah. Yeah. From Japan, I'm drunk and you're a prostitute. Drunk and you're a prostitute? The Hangover? No. No, wait, wait. Pretty Woman. Oh. Leaving Las Vegas. Oh. oh. Leaving Las Vegas. From Argentina? Vaseline. Grease. Grease is correct. Oh, nice. Grease is correct. Vaseline's got rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> From Italy, a gay neo-Nazi comedy. The Producers. The Producers is right. The Producers is right. it's neo-Nazi. <laughs> yeah. And finally, from China again, he's a ghost. Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense is correct. They really? Gave they gave away. it away? They just give what away country? the- China. China? Wow. He's yeah. a ghost. Oh, well, they really delivered on the thesis of the title. Watch that and then watch Orson Welles, It's a Sled. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like his newest movie, Old, is just they took that. They're like, well, that's what happens in the movie. We might as well just call it Old. They yeah. get old. Yeah. Somebody had a funny tweet. This is what podcasts are all about, talking about other people's tweets, right? Somebody was like, M. Night Shyamalan in the bathtub looking at his fingers and going, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's uh, funny. Well, thank you so much for that, Mr. Schroeder. You're welcome. Thank greatly you. appreciated. That was great. Ray, thank you so much for teaching me all about the asylum film industry. And if you've seen an asylum film, let us know what you thought. And uh, maybe uh, if you have an idea for an I was asylum say, do you film, have any pitches? we'd be more than happy Give to pass them on. Give us your elevator pitch. Yeah, we'd be more than happy to pass them on. Please. All right. Till next time. And uh, enjoy uh, our podcast next week when it's hosted by The Good Wife's Zach, Zach Grenier. Grenier. See you soon. See you later. That's because of what the asylum does. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut Cut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show.